Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Ladies, gentlemen, theys and thems, it's all Hallow's Eve with Wicked and Grim. My name is Jacko, and for the past week I have been your master of ceremonies as we lead you through Halloween week. And of course, I will be here for the remainder of the very last day. Every story we've covered has turned and twisted through the creepy, through the murderous. And so far, you have stuck with us side by side. And now, a murderous tale that takes us back to 1957. On this very night. On the night of Halloween. But of course, that's not a story for me to tell. That is a story for your hosts. So, let me once again introduce your hosts of Wicked and Grim, Ben and Nicole. Hey, how's it going? My name's Ben. And I'm Nicole, and you're listening to Halloween Week. With Wicked and Grim. A true crime podcast. And it's Halloween. Woo! We made it. Seven full days. Yes! We hope you guys have had fun so far. Happy Halloween. You guys got to tell us. You're trick-or-treating. You're dressed up. What's the deal? You're, All of it. You're drinking. You're eating. Yeah. What you doing? What's happening? Right now, we are podcasting with uh, a black cat sitting right beside us Actually, in a chair. Yeah. He's uh, he's our Halloween mascot. That's Kiwi. He's our best Halloween decoration ever. He is. He's, he's rocked it. Mm-hmm. Um, also, speaking of people who have rocked it, our patrons. Yeah. So we are going to go ahead and read our patrons who have signed up for... Uh, signed up with us on Patreon for Halloween week. So these are the ones who signed up this past week. We have Harley Woodward, Matthew Hobbs, John Stark, and Jamie Harrington. Wicked. Wicked. Thank you very much for signing up over on Patreon. Um, so if you guys awesome. want to join us, all you have to do is hit the link below in the description. You can head over there, a little bit of a monthly fee that goes to support the show, and you can join us. You get some extra cool content behind the scenes, like, like, extra episodes at the end of the month every month mm-hmm. there's over 200 of us over there chilling away yeah it's super so, cool it's a, it's an awesome um environment there it is it's like a whole community yeah it's cool and people chat with each other sometimes and it, it's great i love it yeah i absolutely love it um and also we have a contest we're running right now mm-hmm. this is only running for the next like 12 hours or so yeah so unless this is you're listening to this podcast like immediately when it's released you might be too late but Go ahead and tell them about the, what they can do to win. Yeah. So we're going to be drawing it on Halloween day. So October 31st today at 6 p.m. ish because we're doing a live at that time on Instagram. Yep. 
And Pacific Standard Time. Yes, PST, sorry. So all you have to do is you have to submit a photo. So on Facebook, you submit it in the comments. On Instagram, you do a story and you tag us of your carved pumpkin. Easy peasy. And I'm when I posted about it, I was like, this is a lot easier than the last giveaway we did. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> um, so if you do that, it's not a skill-based thing. As soon as you submit the photo, you're automatically in a draw and you can win yourself a big old fluzzy, fluffy, bl- fl- fluffy, <laughs> fluffy, fluffy blanket with a big old picture of Jacko on it from our Which podcast pretty show. pretty cool. So yeah. 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 Go ahead and enter that. Go follow our socials and uh, join in and you could win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then one other thing we just wanted to note, because we put a whole week of awesomeness out, um, and we're going to let you all get kind of caught up on that. There won't be an episode on November 1st on Tuesday. Correct. So, um, but there will be one the following Tuesday. There we go. So just so you all are in the know. Yeah. So it might take some of those people out there who are a little bit behind a whole week even to catch up on Halloween week. Mm -hmm. So we're going to give that due time to catch up and us honestly do time to catch up as well because we do work full-time jobs and this Halloween week was a lot of work. So that one little extra day for us will make a big difference. Yeah. 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 Okay. Should we get right into it? I think so. This is the last day we made it. It's, this is, this is a celebration and a half. The end of the second annual Halloween week is, it's here. This is it. It's all come down to this story. Wow. Second annual. I can't um, even believe we've been around that long. Right? It's like actually kind of crazy. It feels like yesterday that we started. Well, maybe the day before. Oh. <laughs> I keep ca- – okay, I'm wearing a wrist guard. It keeps catching. I'm taking it off. Don't okay, mind me. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so we're going to be going back to 1957. Nice. And this is the trick-or-treat murder. Oh. So it's very Halloween oriented. Yeah. Look at you go. So you ready for this? I'm ready. All right. So in 1957 in Los Angeles, Betty Fabiano was just about finished evaluating her life choices. Okay. By then she was 35 years old. She'd been married twice and she was currently living with her second husband, Peter Fabiano and her daughter, Judy Solomon. From the outside looking in, Betty had it all. Her and Peter owned two successful hair salons, and they had a beautiful house in the valley. Her son, Richard Solomon, was at the start of his career in the Navy. Judy was doing pretty well in school, and Betty could pick and choose her own business hours. Nice. So, Like living the life, really. Pretty much everyone's dream. You know, you've got like the nice house, you got the nice family, your business owner, you can pick your own hours and Mm -hmm. do what you want, work when you want, how you want. She's got it made. And it was California they live, right? Uh, LA. Yeah. Yeah. Like dream spot to live. Yeah. So it was a nice work-life balance pretty much mm-hmm. through and through. Love that. Um, so I, ho- she- I hope to get there one day. <laughs> one, one day, one day. <laughs> yeah. No, she was being able to like, just decide when she was going to help Peter with the salons and when she'd devote her time at the household. Like it was, it was beautiful. Perfect. Something to strive for. I can mm-hmm. tell you that right now. Um, but as we all know, things aren't always what they seem. Oh, yes, that's very much so a thing. Yeah. So as I alluded to, she was already kind of like second guessing her life choices, right? Um, So Peter and Betty ran into some difficulties in their marriage. Only small fights broke out here and there, um, but they progressively grew into more intense altercations. Um, As far as I could tell, nothing ever got physical, but I mean, it was arguments. It was abrasiveness within the marriage, right? So Mm -hmm. never a good thing. Not necessarily a sign of detriment by any means, 
no. but not enjoyable. Sometimes when people tell me they don't fight, I'm just like, there's something wrong with that. Yeah. It's like, I mean, people are different no matter how well you get along. Yeah. And you're living under the same roof. You're going to have a dis disagreements every once in a while. It's right. Just life. It's like, do the fucking dishes for once. I did it five days in a row. Like, like that sort of shit, you know? Yeah. That's actually happened. Yeah. Yeah. On more than one occasion. Ben is actually what, the one that does the dishes more often. Yes, very much so. So maybe you should do some <laughs> fucking dishes once in a while. Oh my god! Just kidding. Just kidding. Wow. You're going to get like <laughs> rained on. <laughs> I was joking. Come on. <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, moving on, uh, particularly Peter, uh, particularly things got a little bit more intense after Peter had hired a new secretary for one of their salons. Uh-oh. Now, Joan Rabble, um, was her name and she had a colorful past. She was born in Philadelphia in 1917, but she had traveled most of America by now. And she'd walk through Peter's salon doors in, of course, 1957 when this takes place. Now, she had been married and divorced and was a successful photographer, writer, um, and she liked to get a lot of her inspiration for her tales through her travels. And she had many exotic tales to tell of her life uh, when she came to the Fabiano's shop for a job. Okay. Now, Peter liked Joan right off the get-go and what she had to say. So he hired her almost on the spot. And of course, it wasn't long before he introduced her to Betty. And it didn't take much time for Joan to become the heart of the problem between Betty and Peter, but probably not in the way that you're thinking. Okay. Or, so I just want to say this right now, where about is your head at on where you think these problems lied? Um, I pretty basic that they had an affair of sorts or their flirt network or the wife. Who's the, which one's the wife? Sorry, Joan or Betty. Or Betty. My, Betty. Peter and Betty are the married couple. That um, Betty's just a little jealous of Joan. Maybe she's a looker. Okay, okay. Um, you're half right. Let's put it that way. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll touch you. I'll, I'll fill you in on it here in just one sec. So I get 50%. Yes. <laughs> you're there, but you're there's a curveball coming at okay. the same time. So Joan was with the couple quite a lot. She worked with them, at, at least one of them, during the day, sometimes both. And they often invited her over for dinner in the evenings. Hmm. So Joan got really close with them. And when things got rocky between Peter and Betty, Betty actually moved in with Joan. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, do they have an affair? And Joan made the moves on Betty. Okay. Okay. So you're right, but you're wrong with who? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Um, so actually, we, we don't really know who made the first moves per se. Um, but newspapers at the time would later describe Joan and Betty's relationship as, quote, abnormal, whatever that meant. But remember, this is 1950s, right? So mm -hmm. now when Peter realized what was going on in their relationship behind the scenes, he had a choice to make. And he chose to make it clear that he wanted Betty back. Okay. I like that. So Betty took a hard, long look at her life. And she decided that what she wanted was... Joan. To go back to her husband. Oh, okay. She left Joan. Man, I'm not doing well with my guessing right now. <laughs> not really. <laughs> I'm failing. Maybe the next guess. I don't know if there's another guess in here. I can't recall. Okay. But uh, if there's another one, we'll put you to the test. Okay. 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 So we don't obviously know exactly what was going on in everyone's mind at the time. But judging by what Joan went on to do after Betty left her for Peter, Joan was clearly heartbroken. Okay. Even if things did go back 
to normal for a while, though. Now, Peter did make it very clear that Betty had to cut all ties with Joan. She was no longer working at the salon, and everyone seemed to move on with their lives, at least for a while. Rightfully so, really. Oh, definitely. I mean, in order for their marriage to work, I I think that would have to be. Well, yeah, I think if anyone is having an affair. Yeah. And I, I think it's very understandable for the the party to who that's reconnecting to say, okay, we need to set boundaries. There was an affair. That person that you had an affair with needs to be excluded from our relationship for Absolutely. us to continue. That's yep. totally understandable. Yeah. And first off, props to Peter for being able to actually take I back know. for that. That's that is actually amazing. Good on him. Yeah. Um, so things were better between Peter and Betty. And Joan had moved on to someone else. And that someone else was Goldine Pizer. Now, Goldine was a 42-year-old lab assistant who'd also been in a failed marriage and was just beginning to understand and explore, explore her own sexuality okay. when she met Joan. Now, they'd actually known each other for a few years before 1957, but it was right after Betty left Joan that Goldine and her became really good friends. Okay. Um, and Goldine, in a later interview, uh, used the words coffee clatch to describe her friendship with Joan. And this apparently comes from a German word called, I'm going to try and pronounce this. This is German, remember, Kaffenklatsches, which means coffee and gossip. Oh, okay. Okay. So well done. Thank you. I, I probably butchered it, but I do not speak German. If you can't tell, it's not <laughs> my first, second, third, or fourth language. That was about a hundred times better than what I would do. So <laughs> props well, to you. Well, I mean, prior to us uh, turning on the microphones, I was just singing Ramstein. So that might have warmed me up. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. Our little uh, pre-show rituals are sometimes something else. Yeah. A lot of times you can catch those pre-show rituals in an actual pre-show we post on Patreon. So yeah. Little, little uh, you, note there. We should do a video of it too. Half the time one of us is wandering around dancing or trying to get our like, I don't know. What is that called? Energy or mojo flowing. Yeah. 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 Um, anyways, we digress. It was coffee and gossip that she described it as. Okay. So they would spend hours together, either at a cafe or at each other's house, talking over a cup of coffee and slowly but surely developing the relationship. I'll just leave it at that. Now, Joan started telling Goldine everything that had happened between her and Betty. According to her, all the blame for her failing relationship on was on one person and one person only. The, quote, evil Peter Fabiano. Oh, man. So over the next three months, Joan told Goldine, Goldine over and over on what a terrible man and awful husband Peter Fabiano was. Joan said that he used and dealt narcotics. She said that he mistreated Betty and how she just wanted to get her old friend Betty out of the horrible marriage and away from that abusive man. Hmm. So she painted him in an absolutely horrible light. Yeah. Did whatever she could to get Goldine onto her side. But really from like me, I mean, I don't know everything, but just an outsider, he doesn't seem terrible. No, definitely not. I mean, there was some, and there's nothing confirmed, mind you, but there was some talk of a potential minor abuse in the relationship. Okay. I don't think it was physical. I do think it was a bit mental verbal. by the sounds of it, verbal, mental. Yeah. Um, however, any of that sort of stuff was reconciled as, again, as far as I can tell mm -hmm. when they were getting back together. Mm -hmm. So... I mean, everyone has their faults, 
that's probably what drove them apart and then coming back together, they're resolving it, right? Yeah. So. I mean, but then also too, lots of times if you're talking to a friend about a relationship, um, I mean, you're venting to them, right? And lots of times more of the negative things come out than the positives too, so. True. She could not even know the full picture. Yeah. So regardless though, her stories were more than enough to convince Goldine to help her uh, take care of him. Oh. Yeah. That sounds scary. So on September 21st, Goldine went to a shop in Pasadena where she ordered a 38 millimeter Smith and Wesson pistol. She told the man behind the counter that she wanted it for home protection and that she only wanted two bullets for it. A few days later, Joan dropped by Goldine's house in a car she had borrowed from a friend. She gave Goldine the money for the gun and then drove her back to Pasadena to collect it. The two then made their way to Peter and Betty's home in the valley and they staked it out. I'm picturing like classic, like parked in the side of of the opposite side of the road, like, you know, ducking down in the dim light sort of thing. That's pretty much what they did. Yeah. All dressed in black kind of thing. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know for sure that's how it played out, but that's pretty much the sum of what they were doing, right? good visual. Driving by and watching that sort of thing. Yeah. Now knowing what the horrible man, Peter, looked like, Goldine waited until the time was right to make her move, and that time was Halloween night on 1957. Oh, I feel like any incident that's scary like this that happens on Halloween night just amplifies the scariness, eh? Oh, definitely. Like it's terrifying. 100%. I mean, if Halloween's not scary enough for some people, hearing something like this definitely would be. Yeah. So Joan borrowed a friend's car again, and then she headed over to Goldine's house to pick her up. Now in Goldine's own words, she said this, Joan came over to my house with some clothing, blue jeans, khaki jackets, hats, eye masks, makeup, and red gloves. We dressed up, got in the car, and drove to Fabiano's home, arriving there about 9 p.m. Hmm. So, strange outfits, mm-hmm. more of a disguise of some sort than really a costume, but uh, they're just throwing on whatever they had to look strange and kind of fit in with Halloween, I guess. Right. So. And my brain, sorry, I'm like totally listening to you, but I'm just like, this is so unnecessary. It is. But also remember the uh, conversation we had the other day about the urban legends? Also taking place, I believe, in the 50s, wasn't it? The one Halloween massacre that was proven to be false. Okay, yeah. How people are making their own costumes and everything. That's exactly what they're doing here. They're oh, not-, not necessarily in costumes, though. The whole thing. Oh, I know. I just wanted to point that out. Oh, okay. The costume part was is falling in line with that. Okay, I see. Yeah. But yeah, no, this whole thing, trust me, definitely unnecessary. Um, anyways, so they dressed up in their Halloween costumes. Goldine and Joan waited outside sitting in the borrowed car until all the lights in the Fabiano home went out and the streets went quiet. It was then that Goldine made her move. It was just a little past 11 p.m. when Goldine walked up to the Fabiano's door and knocked. Uh. (laughs) Sorry, I just wanted to add that in there. You had to, eh? (laughs) No one answered. So she waited a little bit and knocked again. If that was me, I wouldn't fucking answer either. There's no way in hell. Well, this time she could hear movement behind the door. Okay. And it was Peter. He'd been in bed, laying and going to sleep with Betty when they both heard the first knock. And he thought about leaving it, just like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
but it was Halloween. He figured it was just some late trick-or-treaters. Oh, okay. So with the second knock, he got out of bed, made his way downstairs, picked up the bowl of candy, and oh. headed for the door. Oh, no. <laughs> he opened the door to expect to see a trick-or-treater. Yep. And he saw Goldine in her costume standing there with a brown paper bag in her hand. And he asked her, it's a little late for this, isn't it? Now, accounts differ on whether Goldine actually answered him or not, but some say she simply answered no. While others say that she said something to him as he opened the door, what we do know, though, is that Betty heard two voices from upstairs in her bedroom. Okay. She later said that one of them sounded like a man's voice, and the other had sounded like a man pretending to be a woman, and then she heard a loud pop. Oh, wow. So she's like two voices aside from her hubbies. Right? I, that was never clarified as far okay. as I could tell. Okay. Cause I need clarification. Sorry here. Joan is the one that was with Betty. Um, yes. But she's not even the one at the door. Joan is currently in the car what the on fuck? the side of the road. Oh, Goldine okay. was in the car with Joan and now Goldine went up to the door. Okay, yeah, that's what I thought. But then I also was thinking, I I just assumed it would have been Joan going up to the door. So that's, okay. She really convinced this person. She did. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, when Peter had opened the door and offered Goldine some candy, Goldine had put both hands inside the paper bag that she was holding, yep. lifting it up. Now, I'm sure he only assumed this was going to be her trick-or-treat bag, right? Um, but she instead pointed the bag directly at its chest. Ooh. And what he couldn't see was the gun that was inside. Yep. Brutal. So Goldine pointed it at his chest and pulled the trigger. And the bullet hit Peter just below the heart and he hit the ground. Yikes. Would Peter have known Goldine then? No. Okay. This would have been a no. complete stranger to him. Yeah. The month prior on September 21st, when Joan drove by the house with Goldine, that was to show Goldine who they were and he's the evil man and he's the one doing oh, this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So they had never met. It was just Goldine wow. staking out the house when she learned who he was. Right. Yeah. And of course, all the, uh, the talk and everything through Joan and the stories, right? Mm -hmm. So after the loud, quote, pop, Goldine took off, racing back to the car and her and Joan quickly drove away. But inside the house, things were far from finished. Hearing the sound of the gun going off and not knowing what it was, both Betty and her daughter, Judy, came rushing downstairs to find Peter laying on his back by the front door, bleeding out. Yeah. Betty frantically tried to help him and Judy ran to one of the neighbor's houses for help. The neighbor was Bud Alpert, a member of the LAPD. Okay. And Judy knew that Bud would knew, know what to do. Yeah. That's a good neighbor to have, eh? Definitely. If any sort of authorities are, are your neighbor, I mean, that's a quick and easy access. It's mm -hmm. glorious. Um, however, it was the middle of the night. Bud was sleeping. So it took a few minutes of banging on his door to wake him up. But once he answered the door and realized what was going on, he jumped into action and took over the scene. Okay. He called the ambulance, followed by police officers, and Peter was quickly rushed to hospital. Oh, I hope he lives. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. We'll touch on that shortly. The only witnesses of the murder, other than Peter's family hearing the incident from inside the house, was a 15-year-old boy who'd heard the gunshot and seen the getaway car speeding down the street. Police were left with very few clues as they tried to process this scene and figure out what was going on. Um, and unfortunately, Peter died in the hospital from severe blood loss. Okay, I was thinking that because yeah. you did say the murder. Yeah. So, so this left investigators with no one able to identify the shooter. Dang. Wow. Okay. I was kind of thinking he lived, to be honest. See, here I am again. Like, gosh, this whole story, I just can't predict whatsoever. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there was potential because it did miss his heart, right? Mm -hmm. So there was potential. But however, there was severe blood loss. Um, and it, it could have been that it was close to an artery. I couldn't find that. But, I mean, he did bleed out, so. Well, and then it does seem like there was a bit of time, too, um, where it it makes his chances less, right? Oh, definitely. With him, like, having to go wake off, wake or the daughter waking up the police officer and then getting him to the hospital. and Yeah. Yeah. And one of the problems, too, is it's it's not in a uh, a limb. It's inside the, the torso, right? So if if you are, say, shot in the arm and it does hit an artery and you are bleeding out, you can put pressure and tie that off. You can stop yep. the bleeding out. Shot in the chest, you can't just put pressure on the chest. He's now bleeding internally. So he's yeah. still going to bleed out, right? Dang. Yeah, he really didn't have much yeah. of a chance. So what he needed was medical attention, someone getting in there, surgery, stabbed. Yeah. So all while this was going on, while he was bleeding out, while investigators were frantically trying to figure out what was going on, Goldine and jo Joan drove back to a friend's house where they dropped the car back off. A statement would be collected from Golding later where it had her stating, we left the car on the street, separated and walked to our homes. Joan said, forget you ever saw me. Huh? It was then clear to Goldeen that Joan had no intentions oh. of ever seeing her again. Shit. Yes. That is some ultimate betrayal. Yes. And it was wow. right then and there that she realized this is pretty much on her shoulders and yeah. she was still left with one big problem. She still had the murder weapon. Holy heck. And like in her mind, she's probably like, man, the person I just killed, is he really that bad? Because this person I thought was good is a monster. Pretty much. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Oh, yeah. sorry. I'm getting up. I'm making Ripley upset here. <laughs> it's all good. She feeds <laughs> off your energy. So. Yeah, she does. Um, so yeah, she knew that she, if she was caught with this gun, this murder weapon, she wouldn't be able to defend or explain herself in any way. Right. So what she did, her solution was she went to a nearby grocery store and rented out a locker. She left the gun inside it and she probably thought that was that, or at least she hoped she did. Um, but even with all of Joan's planning, the police would soon be closing in. Mm -hmm. And they'd be closing in because when they asked if her husband had any enemies, Betty quickly gave them the name, Joan Rattle. And then Joan rats out her friend. 
Instantly, I'm sure. Well, they brought Joan in for questioning, but Joan played it cool and gave them absolutely nothing. Okay, here again, just don't listen to me. My <laughs> predictions are just out the fucking lunch here. <laughs> You're way off course on a lot of this. I am. I don't know if this case is just not predictable or if I'm tired or what the hell's going on. Well, you did you did get one thing right here that we'll be touching on here shortly. So just just hold hold on to your panties here. Um, there was no physical evidence to tie Joan to the scene. So they couldn't hold her. They had to let her go. But everything changed when investigators received an anonymous tip about a certain locker in a certain grocery store. Okay. Now this anonymous tip, again, it is, I mean, it's, it's anonymous. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure we can guess who made it. Joan. You think Joan? I don't know. That's what I think. But maybe I should say... Someone else, because my guessing has been shit. Well, that's not who I'd guess. You'll you'll change your mind here shortly. Acting on the tip, the authorities searched the locker and found the murder weapon laying inside. Of course, it was easy to find who the locker belonged to once they trailed the rental information. And it, of course, led them straight to Goldine. Okay. Now, when approached by police, Goldine was more than ready to talk. Oh. And she started confessing almost as soon as the police walked through her door. Which honestly will do better for her in the long run for sentencing. Definitely. And all that, right? Yeah. So Goldine had time to think about what she'd done. And now out from under Joan's influence for quite a few days, Goldine had realized that she had been completely played and manipulated. And that she fucked up big time. She took someone's life, for God's sake. Exactly. So earlier you did mention that Goldine would realize that she was being controlled. Yeah. So right on that. Um, But I, I mean, again, it was an anonymous call. I don't know. But I'm pretty sure Goldine was the one who called in that tip for the Okay, because that was going to be my second guess, just to kind of get this rolling where she could start confessing, hey? Yes. And getting it off her chest. Yes. She yeah. couldn't She couldn't contain it. She realized she was used, and uh, yeah, she's pretty much confessing. So police brought her back for questioning, and she began to tell them everything that happened. She told them that Joan had said everything and all these evil things about Peter Fabiano. She told them about how Joan had asked her to kill him and she'd driven Goldine down to buy the gun and even paid for it herself. Wow. Then Goldine admitted that she didn't even know Peter or really have any reason to kill him on her own. Her exact words were, quote, I had no motive personally. Whatever motive I had was to please Joan. I was always easily influenced. I had been impressionable and was always trusting. Hmm. That's kind of sad, hey? It really is. She was completely taken advantage of. Like 100%. Yeah. So. And I mean, she probably thought that like they were kind of in a relationship of sorts, right? And well, that's exactly what they, it was. Like they loved each other. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's almost heartbreaking, really. It is. You feel bad for her, but then a step back, she still murdered someone. That's true. That's true. Um, but Joan, she was using her like a marionette puppet. Joan yeah. was being a big old, I mean, I'm sorry. She was a bitch. She was. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. And it also sounded too like Goldine was kind of in a, uh, a, a place in her life where she was trying to rebuild almost. Right. And oh, like yeah. very susceptible to something like this. Through and through. Yeah. Put that nail in the oh head. Yeah. my gosh. That's so sad. Yeah. 
So with the confessions and evidence that followed, authorities had enough to arrest and charge both of them. Mm -hmm. Joan wouldn't admit to anything and barely spoke to investigators, but they had everything they needed from Goldine's confessions and the pair were taken to court where they were both pleaded guilty. Sorry, not guilty. Okay. Both pleaded okay. not guilty. I was like, really? My mistake on that. <laughs> um, amazingly enough, the prosecutor had them psychologically examined to make sure that they were able to stand for their plea and they were sane enough to stand trial. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason for this was, again, we're going back to the 1950s um, when homosexuality was considered a mental illness. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, and at the time of the prosecution, the prosecution, they actually wanted to find out if they could even build a case against either of them or if they should just send them to a mental institution. Wow. Yeah. It's like, wait a minute, they're gay. Should they be in straight jackets? That's pretty much their thought process, which is like, holy fuck, that's brutal. That's disturbing. Yeah, it is. So that's nice to see we've progressed at least a little yes. bit since then. Yes. Yep. Um, doctors, however, did find both of them fit to stand trial. Okay. But they did also confirm a part of Goldine's experiences. And in the evaluation of Goldine, the psychiatrist, sorry, psychiatrist <laughs> wrote this, quote, the only thought she had was that she was saving her friend, Joan Rabble, from an evil person. She became a handy tool or putty in the hands of Miss Rabble. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, people are, they're seeing what happened. Mm -hmm. They're believing it and everything. Yeah, exactly. So, oh, I'm very curious to know what the fuck happens with like sentencing and stuff. Well, for Joan, she was diagnosed with apparently having schizoid personality, but okay. was still found well enough to go to court. That doesn't surprise me because she seems literally like a biatch. <laughs> Just because you're a biatch doesn't mean you're, quote, schizoid. Well, no, no, not at all. But I already think that she was. Like, I'm not a fan of her. No, I know And the mean. fact that she's that, that evil, I was like, something has to be, like, not quite right, you yeah. know? She might, she's dealing with some mental issues. Yeah. Potentially, yeah. Yeah, not that I think if you have mental issues, you're a biatch. Like, <laughs> that is not what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Like, I know plenty of people without mental itch issues who are still biatches. <laughs> trust me. <laughs> Probably more. Probably more. Um, anyways, by then, both of the women had changed their pleas. Golding went down the insanity route, and Joan pleaded guilty to second-degree murder. Okay. Many people looking back at Joan's sudden change in her stance, um, they saw her not wanting to receive a harsher sentence because of being uh, homosexual. She was still, which was still illegal at the time, and it could have actually influenced her trial. But, oh, okay. Yeah. But either way, they were both found guilty of second degree murder as a result of the trial. They both received a life sentence with a minimum of five years. And from there, Joan kind of disappears from the history books. There's no record of when or if she ev was ever released. But we do know that Goldine was. And in 1971, she was released. Um, and 14 years after the murder, she was an officer at the Professional Women's Club in Miracle Mile. And she spent the rest of her life in Los Angeles before she died in 1998 at the age of 83. Hmm. Okay. I'm glad that they both got the same because that was what I was worried that Goldine would get more than Joan. Yes. Which, I mean, she was definitely the one who pulled the trigger. So I can, un I can understand the concern for her getting more. Um, I mean, I, 
it's right that she got the same, but I'm almost at the same time, like hoping she got less because she was so manipulated, you know, hoping, but then she still, she, the she one still that did the act. Exactly. She still committed the murder. So it's like, yeah, no, that that's totally fair. I can hundred percent respect that. She should be serving time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, now it's also a little tricky to pin, pin down what happened to Betty Fabiano afterwards. Uh, we know she sold the businesses after Peter had died, but some accounts say that she remarried in 1966. Now, some say she didn't remarry. Um, some also say that she played a part in Peter's death, but wow. there's little to no evidence to prove that. We know that she also died in her 80s, but she moved to Palm Desert, California, where she passed away at the age of 81. All in all, other than what was found in the court process, it's unclear of just how much of a role any of the women uh, were really involved in this case. I mean, of course, we do know that Joan manipulated Goldine, mm -hmm. but we don't really know to what degree. And we don't know if Betty was really involved. What we do know is it was kind of like a messy love triangle situation that got the better of multiple emotions. And for some, they were simply trying to make sense of the world and that refused to make sense of them. And for others, it may have simply been revenge. Hmm. Who knows? For oh. whatever the reason, this story has left more than a few people brokenhearted, though. That theory of Betty be being involved is very interesting. It is. But again, there's like no evidence. Huh. Like zip. Because you have to wonder, like, I mean, it's a possibility that she decided to have gone back to him, being that the world wasn't very open to her situation. And... She wasn't happy and like she was the one behind this. Not saying I – I could see it. Not saying that's what happened by any means, but I could see it. Yeah. There could be some – like we sit here and we look and we say, oh, Joan was pulling all the strings behind the scene. Well, what if Betty was pulling Joan's strings Because yeah, Joan was Joan, pulling Goldeen? Joan was obsessed with Betty. Yeah. So hmm. who knows? Yeah. All we know is that at the cost of one man's life – um, this literally created the most infamous murder tied to the spooky Halloween season in American history. That would go down in history known as the trick-or-treat murders. Wow. Huh. Yeah. Way to end Halloween week. I thought it was a good one to, to end off on. Very much so. It was actually very interesting. <laughs> so what was your favorite episode from Halloween week though? Oh my gosh. Am I allowed to look at them all? I don't even nope. know if I can remember. Off the top of your head. I'm surprised you're not just going with the three urban legends right away. Oh yeah. I forgot about that one. <laughs> How could you forget about it? <laughs> I don't know. It's all a blur. Um, I can't even, we need to go through what we've done. Come on, please bring them up. Oh, uh, okay. Bring them up. I'll bring it up right now. Give us, talk some entertainment while I'm pulling this up on Spotify. Oh, you, we all know that I'm not very good at talk and entertainment here. You can do it. I believe in you. Um, oh, what's, okay. What's everyone's favorite Halloween candy? That's a good Halloween. Ooh, coffee. snap. I, I got these really cool Kit Kat, like they were spooky Kit Kats or something. And so they're like shaped as, what are they shaped as? Like again? little monsters and yeah, stuff. They're yeah, they're freaking delicious. I was actually just talking the other day how slept on O. Henry bars are. They're actually fucking delicious. They're good. So. They're good. Anyways, I got the list so up here. I what just have to say, to finish this off, the only Really Halloween candy treat I don't love is Smarties. Oh, also the M&Ms that are just normal M&Ms. I like the peanut M&Ms. You might want to pronounce peanut a little more and not uh, precisely that. Peanut. There you go. Peanut M&Ms. <laughs> um, anyways, what we covered so far was the man with a thousand faces. Yeah. Jamie Osuna. 
scary shit. The Hands Resist Him, The Haunted Painting. Spooky. The Hungarian Vampire, Bella Kiss. Oh, God, yeah. Three Urban Legends, version two. Mm-hmm. Haunted Places Around the World. That was fun. The Alice Killings. I already forget what that is. You forget what the Alice kill The playing cards. Oh, shit, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, today, the Trick or Treat Murders. Um, okay, I would set, definitely have to say Urban Legends because that shit's just fun. And I did like going around the world. The haunted, spooky locations around the world. It's yeah. kind of fun, too. Those are definitely fun. Um, I do have to say, though, Jamie Osuna, the man with a thousand faces, that was that was a fucking ride in a half. Yeah, and I do like this one, too. I mean, I like them all. Don't get me wrong. I like them all. This one I found kind of interesting as well. Um, but we should do a – we'll do a – post of sorts hey and see what other people's favorites are it's kind of neat for us to know and learn too definitely so if you want to go see that post head over to our social media instagram facebook you name it all our links in the description below you can check us out on patreon we can get some behind the scenes content and also if you just want to do us a favor and you don't want to go sign up for patreon or anything like that you can leave us a review that totally helps the show helps us get our name out there a little bit more helps so, so much. we would definitely appreciate that but with all of that wrapped up that's a wrap. That is Halloween week. Wow. So just like last year, we're going to hand this off. Take it away, Jacko. With what can only be described as the blink of an eye, the second annual Halloween week has come and gone. It has been a pleasure these past seven days to serve you as your master of ceremonies through these tales of Halloween week. Of course, I must return to my slumber once again. But don't be sad. I am always around in spirit. And if you light a single candle and listen closely to the flame flicker in the melting wax, you might just hear my voice. You might just hear my laugh. Until next time, stay wicked. Ha, 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 ha.